All right, so a quick uh, survey. How many folks uh, started listening to Christmas uh, music right after Halloween? <laughs> a couple, all right, all right. How many, so I, some have already, started, you're started, you've started seeing those hands. How many are going to wait, in, like maybe December 1st? Or all of you, so a couple of hands on that. What's your, what's, so Nicole, what's your magic date before you start really listening? All right, not quite. Marilyn, do you have a date in mind of like when? We want to get the house decorated. Good, that's a good one. So once the house is decorated, then music can uh, kick in, right? So I always find it interesting uh, to uh, ask uh, folks what their favorite Christmas songs are and their least favorite Christmas songs are. So you might be singing those uh, in your head already. I was thinking about some of those songs. So yesterday we were in Iowa for Thanksgiving, and so on the way home we uh, we're listening to lots of different Christmas songs on our uh, satellite radio, some, of course, that we love. And then last night, uh, there's, um, there was a duet uh, with, um, what's the song? It's um, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Uh, duet with, have you heard this? Dolly Parton and Rod Stewart. Have you heard this duet? I, mean, I love Dolly, but... This was not a good pairing. Uh, so I immediately had to turn that one. Uh, so we all have those songs, but then there are songs we just can't get enough of. So some of the songs, uh, perhaps, that you enjoy have to do with home. Some of those songs talking about what it means to be with friends, with family. A couple of the more popular ones, of course, are I'll Be Home for Christmas. You might be humming that in your head right now. I'll be home for Christmas. You can plan on me. Please have snow and mistletoe, and anybody know the rest? Presents by the tree. It gets a little sad at the end. Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas, if only in my dreams. Uh, so for those folks, maybe you can't get home for the holidays. Another song, of course, there's no place like home for the holidays. You might hear Perry Como now in your head singing this away. There's no place like home for the holidays, because no matter how far away you roam, when you pine for the sunshine of a friendly gaze for the holidays, you can't beat home sweet home. So Christmas is that time when we think about what it means to be home and what that is for us and for others. So it makes all the sense in the world for us to do a sermon series called Displaced. What does it mean when you don't have home or when you're not sure what home is? So this is our focus. We are not trying to be bah humbug about this, but we're also trying to reflect on what are the roots of our faith as those who follow Jesus? Because the sense of being displaced and wandering and not having that sense of what home is, is in our scriptures, it's in who we are. And certainly if we think about in the very beginnings, as we read in the Older Testament, the Israelites leaving Egypt and all kinds of wandering that goes on, but also when we see some of the more significant figures in the Christmas story, all of them are displaced. They are not perhaps where they know that and are comfortable with, whether it's Mary and Joseph, whether it's the shepherds following an angel, whether it's the magi following a star. They are leaving what they know, what they might call home, to another place. Sometimes they have a vague idea of what that might be. Other times they don't really know, but they are just going. And so we are exploring this whole sense of what it means to be displaced in our lives, not just ourselves, but also we're taking a look at particular uh, groups of people 
who have that sense of being displaced. So we'll talk about those who are immigrants, those who are refugees, and those who are experiencing homelessness. So those who are displaced. And so we don't know what they might feel about what home is. But for those of us who follow Jesus, who was constantly on the margins, these are the folks that we must pay particular attention to. And so that's our focus uh, during this sermon series as we also end this series too in thinking about what home is. So today we are um, looking at this really interesting um, passage from the Gospel of John. And in a sense, uh, this is the first time I'd ever thought about that, but uh, actually I'm gonna put a bit of a spot, imaginary spotlight, spotlight on Wing Yun Schreiber. Wing Yun is in the back. Wing Yun can kind of raise. Uh, Wing Yun actually is, uh, he is our communications manager, but also just this week has added another part of his title. So he is our interim director of communication and discipleship. So Wing Yun will be thinking about small groups and all kinds of really wonderful ways too. But Wing Yun helped put our sermon series together. And Wing Yun is the one who kind of helped think, me think about what does it mean for this kind of immigration of God, the word, becoming flesh. An interesting way of that kind of transition. And so this passage, this poem really from the Gospel of John is an interesting one. It's been read many times. And um, it's one that lots of people who really like theological conversations wrestle with. What does it mean that the word comes into our being? The beginning was with God. The word was God is in the beginning with God. And especially when we look at the Greek word of word is logos. And so people, lots of books have been written about logos. And they begin to think about for in the time when this was written, people, Greeks were thinking about what does logos mean for me, this kind of creator, this organizer of the universe. Jews were thinking about what does logos mean, perhaps, too, with the word, another name for God, perhaps. And so they're trying to wrestle with what logos and what the word is. And these are good things to do. It's okay to have these good, deep, rich theological conversations. But perhaps a better way to respond to these kinds of conversations and to really wrestling with this passage is to actually respond to it meaning how do we act on it when we have in thinking about what it means for all of this to take place. And so today we're reflecting a little bit on the whole nature and the debate about immigration. And sometimes when we have these conversations or we read articles or we watch debates about immigration, and so I think sometimes people get caught up in the why of it all. Why are people in our case, for example, why are people wanting to come into the United States? And they'll jump to conclusions about that. And they'll think, well, these families, are, and they make assumptions about who they are and why they might be coming here and what that means for them. And so we get in these debates about the why of it all, but we never talk enough about the how. How are we going to respond to those who are coming into our midst and into, in our case, sometimes into our country? I was uh, thinking about this and was reading a really wonderful article this week, a woman who works for the National Immigration Justice Center, and this is located in Chicago. Her name is Alejandra Oliva, and she has this quote about immigrants. She says, the problem we were facing is the same problem that exists just about anywhere, everywhere in the immigration system. It arises from treating migrants as logistical issues, as suspicious packages abandoned at the airport as invading armies, as anything but what they are, 
which is people trying their hardest to survive. Let me read that one more time. The problem we are facing is the same problem that exists just about everywhere in the immigration system. It arises from treating migrants as logistical issues, as suspicious packages abandoned at the airport, as invading armies, as anything but what they are, which is people trying their hardest to survive. I think sometimes we see immigration and we see those who are coming into our country as debate points, not as people in need of care, in need of welcome, in need of refuge. Another version of the John passage that I read is from what's called the message translation. It's a more modern translation, verse 14 especially. So let me read to you verse 14 again in the passage that we heard. Verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Now here's the message translation of that same verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love that. The word became flesh and blood, and friends, moved into the neighborhood, moved next door to you, became flesh and blood. And that's the same as those who are seeking shelter, who are seeking refuge, who are seeking a place away from the persecution, from the violence that they are leaving, and they are seeking a place and they're wanting to move into the neighborhood. And so rather than railing against this or debating it or reading lots of articles, which aren't bad things to do, but are we acting? Are we ourselves becoming flesh and blood so that we can respond and welcome them in this way? This is who we are as Christians, friends who we are as those who follow Jesus. And the scriptures are replete with example after example of verses and commands of how we are to treat the other, the one who is new in our midst. Leviticus 19.34, here's one example. Now sometimes Leviticus is a hard book to read. There are uh, things in there, holiness codes and things we think, well, that doesn't make much sense today. And our LGBTQ friends and neighbors, had, Leviticus has been used to harm and hurt them too. But we also don't want to throw away the whole book because I think there are commands in here for us to live into. Leviticus 19.34 says this, any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your own citizens. You must love them as yourself because you were immigrants in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Can you imagine those people who love Leviticus and love to hit our LGBTQ friends and neighbors with those passages? And then they may just skip over Leviticus 19.34 because it says, I, you know, you look for the loopholes sometimes in the scriptures, I'm not seeing one. Any immigrant who lives with you must be treated as if they were one of your own. You must love them as yourself. So how do we love them, friends? How do we move from debating these things but actually living into it and welcoming those who are displaced, welcoming those who are wandering, welcoming those who are trying to flee from the persecution and the violence perhaps that they are leaving behind? How do we do that? Well, perhaps I think there are a couple of ways that we can do that. One is we can work within our system and try to change the laws so that we can welcome them more freely. 
I was reading an article this week from the Texas Observer. This was also on the, I mentioned the National Immigration Justice Center, and this is an article that was on their website, and this was kind of jarring to me. Now, friends, you know, sometimes you get into perhaps slightly hot water when you start talking politics in church. I remember the very first church I was a part of in Riverside. I don't remember what I preached on, but somebody sent me a note that said, the Bible is not political. And I said, oh, are you sure you're reading the same Bible that I'm reading? But for those of us, thank you, Darren, for those of us who might vote a little more blue in our elections, and when we think about the Immigration Center, and especially when we think about family separations that have happened, and we might rail against the Trump administration for this happening, and rightly so, but friends, I hate to tell you, it hasn't stopped. Since the Biden administration has started, through August of this year, 372 cases of family separation has happened. It's still happening. It's still happening. So just because you vote a particular way doesn't mean that things all of a sudden become better and that politicians are going to do everything that we desire. It still happens. And so we can work within the system. And so you can go on the National Immigration Justice Center. There's one case in particular. They're holding up particular cases to try to reunite families with their parents, to love these immigrants as ourselves, as the scriptures tell us. So that's one way we can try to work, put pressure on our elected officials to try to fix our immigration system. But then we can also do hands-on things as well to welcome them. Because as the scripture says, as the word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood, friends, people are moving into our neighborhoods. How will we respond? My dad, as some of you know, is also a retired Methodist pastor. Uh, and so he's serving, currently serving a church in central Iowa. He did a funeral a couple of weeks ago for uh, this family that adopted uh, three children from Vietnam in the mid-70s. And she recently passed away. Uh, and in the, I don't know if some of you remember, in the early to mid-70s, there were a lot of refugee children from Vietnam coming into our country. And so they felt called to adopt these children. And Mary Sue was the woman who passed away. And she said that she had a vision one night where she saw Jesus standing at the end of her bed and Jesus said to her, child, follow your heart. Jesus did not tell her to follow her fears, but to follow your heart. And so her husband said, that's what we did. Jesus said, follow your heart. And so they adopted these children into their homes. They were 22 years old and they adopted these children into their home. Friends, how can we respond right now? Some of you know, I, I keep forgetting that not everybody here knows that the parsonage of this church is like right next door. So when you go into the parking lot, that house, that's the parsonage of this church. It's been a part of this community for decades and decades. And so usually the pastor lives in the parsonage. Now, you all have been very generous uh, and allowing me to stay in my home in Chicago so that my son can continue and finish up his high school um, uh, career and he'll be graduating in the spring. And so we've had another urban village pastor living there um, instead of me, but now it's vacant. And so we've been wondering about how do we respond? What do we do with this parsonage? And I think, I think it was Chris Makers Act at a trustee meeting who lifted up, well, is there someone, perhaps an immigrant family who might need a place to stay? So we have been in conversation with World Vision and they have a program called, uh, where they, churches create good neighbor teams. And they have a program where asylum seeking families live in a location for six months 
as they get settled and get a sense of who they are and how they are going to survive in this new place. So we had a conversation with World Vision a couple weeks ago, and I think we're pretty close, like it's a go. But what we need now is a good neighbor team to work with this family who will be moving in. The word became flesh friends and moved into the neighborhood. We have an asylum-seeking family who will come into our neighborhood, gasp, even River Forest, will come into our neighborhood and are seeking support and are seeking safety and are seeking things like, where do I buy groceries? How do I do my laundry? Where are we doing these things? And we'll be living literally in our backyard. Will we respond, friends? Will we become the word made flesh and moved into our neighborhood? And will we love these individuals, this family, as ourselves, as the scripture tells us? So often, it is so easy to think in our heads, and we debate things, and we go online, and we figure out, how do I combat that point with this other point? And we, again, I'm not saying these are bad things, but then at some point, friends, we need to be flesh. This is what God has done in our midst. God has, in a sense, immigrated into our midst and become flesh. So how will we treat those who are in our midst? Will we seek to continue to never tire of trying to change our laws so that they are more humane, so that children are not separated from their families, so we can come up with a system for people to enter into this country. And until that happens, will we seek and reach out to those who are in our neighborhood? Will we love them? Will we reach out to them? Will we embrace them? On your terrace, there's a little box. If you want to be part of a good neighbor team, you can check that off and we will connect with you. But more than anything else, friends, will we be a community so that someone coming into our midst will say, I have a home for the holidays, a literal home, but then perhaps also a community so that they know they're seen and they are loved because this is what it means to be the word made flesh. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for your presence in our midst. Certainly, we see you in so many different ways. We see you in the eyes and the embrace of our loved ones, our families, our friends. But perhaps even more than that, we see you in the stranger. We see you in the one who is new. We see you in the one who is lost. We see you in the one who is wandering. Help us, O oh God. Love us enough so that we would have the courage to reach out to them so that they would know your love as well. In this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.